Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. So I make it a habit of going through the Psalms four times a year. So every three months going through it, that really helps tremendously. So I get a chance to meditate on it quite a lot. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Psalm 72. And Psalm 72 is going to take on the idea of a king. And we'll talk more about this, but I want to focus on the characteristics of this kingship, because this kingship is amazing. It is either written by Solomon or by David about Solomon. And, but as we read it, you're going to find that this can't be Solomon. The beauty of this and the perfection of it has to go greater than Solomon himself. So let's read through it. And then we'll pray, and then we'll try to break it down a little bit here. The superscription says, of Solomon, and the first verse, Give to the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on mowed lawns or grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the rivers to the end of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations serve him, for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their lives and precious is their blood in his sight. May he long live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayers be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountain, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May the people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May his people be blessed in him. All the nations call him. Blessed is the Lord. The Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So this is the fi- sufficient 
eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Father, this day, as we have this opportunity to look at the psalm and we end book number two, we hear of this great king, this amazing king, Lord, this king who is a righteous king, this king who has an endless reign, this king who's universal in rule and reign, who's compassionate and caring, prosperous. Praise you, Lord. Father, the kings and the queens and the princes and the presidents that we have don't come close to fulfilling this. This is a perfect ruler. This is perfect peace. This is in a perfect time, Lord, and it looks forward to your son, the true king, the true role, a ruler, the true monarch, the true one that we bow our knee before today. So today, Father, as we get an opportunity to think about this king, help us to marvel at what your son is and what he has done for us, and help us to bring glory and honor and majesty to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, it's interesting politics. I don't get much into politics. If you follow me at all, some people on Facebook and Twitter, they put, they put political things out there all the time. And they're, they're for one side or the other. And it's like when the one group is in office, the Democrats are in office, people are attacking the Republicans. And when the Republicans are in office, the Democrats are attacking them. And it's always, it, you get to this second or third year of this president's rule. And it's like, oh, we long for the next person to come in. And we think that the next person that's going to come in is going to actually be really great. And our nation's going to be great, at least here in the United States we tend to think that. So it seems like every four years we go through this cycle again, and it's like we are looking for that perfect leader. And they sound really good on the campaign trail, don't they? So they're on the campaign trail and they speak about what they're going to do. And always it's going to be this grand plan. And then they get into office once they're voted in and they do very little of it. Or maybe the plan that they came up with was really not a grand plan. And when they did invoke it, it's not been good at all. But this is this is a psalm about a coronation and this coronation is occurring and one king is going to be leaving and another king is going to come in and we could see from the superscription that it is of solomon now up to this point anytime we've had a phrase like that of david or of solomon we would assume that the writer is the person who it says of it could be by Solomon, or it could be for Solomon. The reality is we're not completely sure. It gets a little confusing. It seems like it's Solomon. But then when you go to the very last verse, the, the end, it says, it's the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, that are ended. So is it David writing this, or is it Solomon? I believe it's David writing it. I'm going to argue that it's David writing it, but it doesn't matter. I think it's David writing this prayer for his son, Solomon. And I think Solomon may have actually written the prayer down. So in essence, it's Solomon's writing it down, but it's David's prayer. Whether it's that, or it could be Solomon writing it about his own kingdom. And he's saying that in essence, when I become king, the reign of my father has ended. Whatever it is, it's David and Solomon that we're looking at. 
Now, David is the second king of Israel, and he was a phenomenal king. He had a lot of great accomplishments as king, but he also had a number of problems as king. He was he was a, an adulterer. He's a murderer. He, at times, went ahead of God, and he did things in taking a census in moving the ark. He did a number of things throughout the years that were probably not the best. So his reign was not a perfect reign by any stretch of the imagination. He was more righteous than Saul, but he was not the perfect king. And now as he's looking forward to Solomon, Solomon started off his kingdom pretty well because he, if you remember what he did, it was he asked, God says, I'll give you whatever. And, and Solomon says, give me wisdom so that I can rule over this people. And it's like, wow, you, I give, you could have asked for money. You could have asked for possessions and all these things. You didn't ask for that. I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you these possessions and this great power. And Solomon started out well, but if you know anything about Solomon's king, he brought in a number of foreign wives, a number of foreign women, and they took him down the path of idolatry. And they took him down this path of idolatry, and his king started to break down. It became an unrighteous kingdom in many ways. Solomon became a godless, almost seemingly godless man at times in his kingdom. And then after Solomon, the kingdom split, part of the judgment that started with David's sin and then through Solomon. So when we look at David and when we look at Solomon, the king that is talked about here in Psalm 72 can't be them. But this is a prayer that I believe that David is offering for his son in the beginning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this prayer. We're going to just break it down. And we're going to look at the kingdom, the rule. And we're going to look at each aspect of this rule that I think is important. I should say that this, many of the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament, but this Psalm is not quoted in the New Testament. But as we said, it clearly speaks of a reign that is greater than King Solomon. So let's look at verse one, and we look at a prayer for the king, prayer for the king. Verse one, and it says this, give thanks let me change this. Hold on one second. Okay. I don't know if this is going to work. No. Okay. Here we go. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to this royal son. The psalmist is praying that God would endow the son, this royal son, with God's justice and righteousness. And so the psalmist recognized that this had to come from God, that God, you have been my leader, as I believe it's David writing this, God, you've been my leader, you've imparted justice and righteousness to me, I'm praying you would do that to my son as well. And so he says, give to my son, give to the king your justice, and when he talks about justice, it's your ability to make right decisions, and he says, oh God, and your righteousness, which is right principles, to the royal son. And he's saying that, God, I want my son to imitate you. I want my son to model you. I want my son to follow you. But I recognize that can only happen if you give to him. And that's important for us to remember as well, because anything that any good that we do on this earth, and scripture says our righteousness is like filthy rags. So any good that comes out of our life has to be an imparted goodness. It has to be an infused goodness. It has to be an endowed goodness that God does his work in us, and then he does his work through us. And that's what the psalmist, this David, prays for initially. He says, God, I want you to do this for my son, impart this. And justice and righteousness, these two themes are going to be significant. 
And now he's going to talk about the characteristics of this, this rain. He's going to talk about the rain that is there, and he's going to say, this is the type of rain that I want to be able to see my son have. And so let's watch what he says. He says this, I would like his rain to be righteous and just in his rain, righteous and just in his rain. In essence, what he's saying is this, I am praying that the king's reign will be marked by righteousness and justice for all people, not just some people, but all people. So let's look at the verses. He says in verse two, may he judge, that means to try cases, judge your people with righteousness. Once again, this divine justice, this holy justice, this right way of judging and your poor with justice, the downtrodden, the weak, those that are oppressed, he wants them to be judged fairly. And if you think about it, in a lot of societies, those that are weak, those that are poor are those that are not going to receive really great judgment. You think about it, if you are in a legal trouble and you now are in trouble right now, what ends up happening is that you have to hire an attorney to just to help you, or you get a court-appointed attorney. And oftentimes a court-appointed attorney they may be skilled, but they have so many cases that they get overwhelmed. So if you are a poor person or a weak person, you may not get the same opportunities for justice that a rich person may. And so what he's saying is this, I want a kingdom that is a righteous kingdom, a just kingdom, that divine justice happens there. And he presides with justice. But watch what he says in verse three. He says, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. He's saying that I don't want him just to have a beacon of righteousness and justice in his presiding as judge. I want him to prosper. Now, if you think about it on the tops of a mountain, it's usually barren on the tops of a mountain. And what he's saying here is this, I want the tops of the mountain to be prosperous. I want it to be filled with this prosperity over and over again in life. And that is really important aspect because we find ourselves at times feeling overwhelmed. So he's using the metaphor of the mountain. And he says, I want this mountain to bear prosperity. And I find it interesting that this word prosperity, when you think about it, you're probably thinking about material abundance, but that word actually is shalom. It's about shalom, peace. And so he's saying this, I would like them to be prosperous in peace, abundance in peace, that the blessings that are flowing out, the righteousness that is flowing out from this earth, the earth will be rescued ultimately from the curse of sin because of this righteous king. So the mountains bear the prosperity or shalom and the people and the hill in righteousness. So he starts by saying, I want him to preside with justice. Now he's saying, I would like him to be prosperous. And then he goes into the third thing in verse four. He says this in verse four, he says, may he defend, watch this, defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressors. So defending He's thinking of those that need to be defended from being attacked. And once again, it's the poor and the weak that tend to get attacked the most in our society, in any society. And so what he says is that I pray that my son's kingdom is righteous and just, and that he is presiding with justice, that he's prosperous, but he also protects those that are in need. Watch, he says, defends the cause of the poor. 
those are those that are afflicted, the poor of the people, and gives deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Think about the crushing that he would go in, this king would go in and say that, you know what, you're taking advantage of this person. You're not going to do that. It harkens back to what Pastor Doug was preaching on this morning in Ruth chapter two. And if you remember, Naomi and Ruth are widows. And in this society, women and also widows in the society would have been marked for real significant problems. And Boaz comes in and protects Ruth and says, you're not going to touch her. You're not going to hurt her. You're not going to come against her. And he provides protection. And that's almost what we see here with this king that's going to come in and say, I'm going to protect these poor, these vulnerable people, and I will even crush the oppressors that are there. So he defends the needy. He defends the poor. He's like the appointed guardian of these people. And he, he says, I'm not going to allow you to have your way with these people. So this is a place of great peace. This is a place where righteousness and justice reign. And that's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist goes on to say that not only do I want my this kingdom, this reign to be righteous and just, but I really pray that this reign is endless. Wow. Can you imagine that? We take a president in office and they're in for four years or maybe eight years, but then they're gone. I guess in England, they've had a queen there for decades. But she'll be gone at some time. This is a reign that is an endless reign. The psalmist is praying for an everlasting reign for the rule and rule for this king. Everlasting. And what he says is this in verse five, he says this, may they, the people, fear you while the sun endures, basically as the sun is in the sky, it's endless, right? And as long as the moon throughout all generations, he says, how long, as long as the sun shines in the sky, I want my king to be on the throne. And once again, as you think about this, this has to be more than David, and this has to be more than Solomon, because both of them are mortal men. They lived and they died 3,000 years ago. So it's like, it can't be David and it can't be Solomon. This can't be a mere mortal human being because this reign is going to go on for eternity. He says in verse six, watch what he says here. He says, may he be like rain that falls on the mown, mown, gla mown glass, grass. I can't get the words together. Mown grass. There we go. Like showers that water the earth. And so what he's saying is this, how long is this person going to reign? They're going to reign as long as the sun is in the sky and as long as the rain nourishes the earth. This righteous king will reign in eternal powers and shower blessing upon from Holman's commentary. I like this. He, he, they use these three words, refreshing, renewing, and replenishing, refreshing renewing and replenishing. And I tell you, there are some days where I just need that refreshment. I need that renewal. I need that replenishment. Maybe you're feeling the same way as well. We can go through those difficult times and this King's reign is going to be as long as the sun is in the sky. And as long as the rain nourishes the earth, but there's a third thing in verse seven, it says in his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So he's saying that his reign, I wanted to see it be righteous and fruitful and flourishing. It's abundant. It's abounding in peace. It's peace that abounds, abundance of peace. 
and the righteous will prosper with him. And how long is this going to happen? As l- until there's no more moon. And so this endless reign of this king that the psalmist is praying that the reign of this king is everlasting to everlasting, abundant, endless, and that it is flourishing you and it's giving to you as one of its people a refreshing, a renewing, a replenishing of your life. I need this. I, I know that you do as well. So he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say righteous and just reign. He doesn't just say an endless reign. He also says a universal reign. He's praying this king would have a reign that would extend to all people and expand throughout all the earth. And it's not just all peoples, but now it's throughout the earth. And now watch what he says here in verses 8 through 11. He says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, when he's talking about sea to sea, it's probably, he's probably thinking the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, perhaps. And when he says the ends of the earth, he's saying as far as you can think. And now what's he going to do is in the next verses, he's going to try to think of the furthest east and the furthest, east and the furthest west, the furthest north and the furthest south that he can think of. And he's saying that as far as I know, as far as this world goes, his kingdom will be a universal kingdom. He's going to be worshipped near where we are at home right here, where the Red Sea is. He's saying near. Then he says he's going to be worshipped far. Watch. He says, may the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick their dust, lick the dust. He's saying, even in the remotest tribes, I want to see your name worshiped. In the remotest tribes that are just off on their own, and it would probably be very hard to consolidate them and to bring them under your rule. He's saying that this king's rule is going to be even greater than that. Every little tribe in the desert, he's going to be greater than. And then he's going to say, even the enemies will lick their dust. It's like they won't come down and bow before him in worship. They will put their face in the dirt in subjugation. That he's saying, you will either reign over them and they will be subjugated because they will be conquered or they will bow down to you in worship. Either way, this king is going to have a universal kingdom. He continues in verse 10 and he says this, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. So once again, going as far as he can think of, may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. He's basically now going to the far nations. He said he's going to be worshipped near. He's going to be worshipped among the desert tribes. But now we're going to go as far as I can think of, as far as their map was at the time. He's going to the southern Arabia. He's going to northern Africa. He's going to present-day Spain. He's going as far as he can think of at that time. And he's saying, I'm looking for a universal rule for this king. And it says this king is going to receive tributes and gifts. And then in verse 11, we're going to say, we're going to see that it says, may all the kings fall down before him. That means to bow down, to prostrate before him and before a superior, they're submitting to him. They're adoring him. They are worshiping him and they're falling down before him and all the nations serve him. And once again, he's saying, I want to be worshiped. I want this king to be worshiped near. I want him to be worshiped far. And I want him to be worshiped among all the nations. 
And once again, this can't be David and this can't be Solomon, though at the time there were many nations that came to Solomon and brought him a lot of tributes, a lot of gifts. The king, queen of Sheba came before him. Many people came and that's part of the reason why he received such a large harem of people. They would come and bring him gifts. They would come and bring him women. So Solomon's reign was pretty strong, but it was not this. It was not the universal reign. So it was a righteous and just reign, an endless reign, a universal reign. Now, if you have a king or a queen or a president or a ruler that is endless and universal without righteousness, that would be a pretty scary king or queen. But what would make this king or queen even better would be this, that they're compassionate and caring, that a compassionate and caring reign, this person who is just caring about people. I was just thinking about this. Abuse in our society is rampant. We attack one another day after day. We attack one another verbally. You may, maybe in your own families, maybe in your own neighborhood, maybe at work, people get attacked verbally day after day. People get attacked physically day after day. People get attacked mentally and emotionally day after day. People get attacked sexually day after day. They say two out of three women have been sexually abused and hurt. People get neglected day after day. We are so broken. The perversity of our society, the brokenness of our society is because we've lost the rule of that good king. And now we have attacked one another time after time. We have nations going into other nations and just trying to destroy them day after day. We just attack over and over. And if you take God out of the equation, we become a God to ourselves. And then we attack people. And abuse is rampant, but abuse is predictable. If you do not know the God who is the creator and that you do not recognize that every person is created in the image of God, if you do not have his rule and his, his commands in your life, you will eventually attack one another. In the Garden of Eden, what do we have? Adam not only attacks his wife verbally, and blames her, but then he even attacks God. And their offspring, a generation later, one son kills another. And then within several generations, what do we have? There's sin that's rampant throughout all the earth. If you take God out of the equation, people are, they lack in care and they lack in compassion. So David is praying, God, I pray that my son's reign will be a different reign. He asked that the, king, that the king's reign would be caring, helpful, compassionate, and protecting. What kind of leader would you have? I would love to have a leader that cared about me, was helpful, was compassionate, and was reigning. And that when, as the abuse is rampant in the world, that this king is setting up a kingdom that he is going to care for those that are broken. Watch what he does here. He says in verse 12, for he delivers, the king delivers the needy when he calls. I like this. When the needy is calling, the king is so thoughtful and listening, his, his, has his ears open to hear the needy cry. He understands their needs. The Super Bowl just happened several, several weeks ago. And in the Super Bowl, they had a parade after the parade. They had a parade for the winning team. And there's a video of the quarterback of the winning team. 
And I don't know him at all, but there was a person on the stage right behind him and she fell off the stage and he kind of looked down and he told his assistant to go down and deal with her. And he walked away and it just got me thinking, I just, you just made, he just signed a contract for $160 million. And it's like, there was no sense of compassion. It wasn't like he turned and said, oh no, he, it wasn't like this big man jumped down to try to save her. He tells his assistant to go and he walks away. And that's not the kind of king I want. That's not the kind of leader I want. I want a leader who not only sees this person, Paul, hears this, understands, and sees this person that is poor and needs a helper because this person has no helper. And the poor oftentimes don't have that. And he shows pity to the poor. Watch what he does here in verse 13. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. He pity. It takes on this idea of compassion. He has compassion on the weak, and then he saves. He he knows that the ungodly tend to attack the weak, and he is said he knows that abuse is rampant and it's predictable. But he says, "I am going to go in there and I'm going to protect the godly. I'm going to protect the weak from the ungodly." That's what he does, and so what he does is he shows pity to the poor, and he shows pity to the persecuted. Watch what he says in verse fourteen. It says, from oppression and violence, he redeems their lives, and precious is their blood in his sight. This is a king. This is a king who recognizes the oppression. And remember that people in power usually tend to exploit those that have no power. That's just the way we are. If you're in power, and if you do not understand the sovereignty of God in your life, in essence, you will be tempted to exploit those that are underneath you. And so he says, from oppression and violence, the ruthlessness that is happening here, what he does is he redeems, he rescues their lives. And why? Because he views their blood as precious in his sight. I was thinking about our society today has become so cold when it comes to the blood of people. The heinousness of abortion is how a society can get to a place where we can do that horrendous act and think it is right. The school shootings, now it's like school shootings happen. We don't even think about it. It's just like common day. The violence that we see day after day, it's like, oh, well, it's those people doing it to one another. And it's like the wars, the rumors of wars, and it's not even just the physical violence, the verbal violence that we can say and speak against one another. And it's just, we can get to a point where it's like, we just never even think about it. This king shows pity to the poor. And this king shows pity to the persecuted because he hears that. And he's not gotten to a place where he's become so conditioned to the violence of this world. He hasn't been so degraded or debased. He sees this as evil and he wants to go against it. And so he's a compassionate and caring king. And that's the type of king that we would want to have. But not only is he righteous, and not only is he endless, and not only is it universal and caring, compassionate, watch, he is a prosperous king. Of course, you want a prosperous king. You want a wealthy nation, right? You want a king that is really going to do well. And so the psalmist is praying, really, that this king would receive tributes. And not only physical things, material things, but that he prays that he would receive prayers of gratitude and blessing. 
and abundant prosperity and have an honored name. See, that's what the king is. That's what King David is praying for his son. He's saying, God, I want him to be prosperous, not only physically, I want him to be physically, I want him to be prosperous, prosperity with material blessing. I want him to be prosperous spiritually. I want him to be prosperous in the fact that his name is honored and engraved. Let's see what it says in the verses. In verse 15, as long as he lives, may gold from Sheba, wow, gold from Sheba be given to him. So that's where the physical tributes come in. And not only the physical tributes, now here's the prayers of gratitude and blessing. May prayers be offered for him continually, that the people of his nation are praying for the king over and over again, blessing upon blessing. And not only are praying for him, but their blessings been invoked for him. And he's, they're calling God to bless him over and over again. Can you imagine this? I want you to think about your leader, whether it's the leader of your job or the leader of your church or the leader of your community or the leader of your nation. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for them continually? And do you pray that they be blessed, that God would do a work in them to bring them to faith? Some of our leaders in this country are godless people. And they need salvation. And we can pray them out of office, sure, but they need a savior. And do you pray for that in their lives? Verse 16, he goes on to say this, may there be abundance of grain. So you hear this physical prosperity on the tops of the mountain. May it wave. Remember on the tops of the mountain, it's usually barren. So he's saying, I want to see fruitfulness even on the tops of the mountain. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field, the this, this shared abundance. So he's saying, I want the king to receive tributes. I want the king to receive prayers of gratitude. I want the king to be prosperous. But the prosperity that the king has, I want him to share with others. And so that's another thing that we have in our society. We have a lot of people that are on the top prosperous, but they do not share that out with others. This king, being a compassionate and caring king, is also a prosperous king who shares his abundance, and other people are blessed because of him. Verse 17 gives us the last of the things that the psalmist is praying for under this prosperity. Tributes, prayers of gratitude, prosperity, and then the honored name. Watch this, and continual fame. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun, as long as the sun is there, right? May people be blessed, receive blessing in him. All nations call him blessed. So it's not only that he is granting blessing because he is there and you're part of his kingdom, but now people are going to speak well of him, that he will be blessed that is what he's looking for, that the blessing of God and the work of God in this person's life and then through his life. This king is receiving tributes and prayers, gratitude, prosperity, but this honored name and this continual name. What a kingdom this would be. This is an amazing kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and justice, a kingdom that doesn't end. It's universal. It goes everywhere. It's compassionate. It's caring, a prosperous kingdom. And then David ends with a doxology, praise. He ends with this doxology, and I should say this, that all of the Psalms at the last Psalm in each one of the five books 
has a doxology. It has a praise. And so this is actually one of the longest ones in the Psalter at the end of a book. So at the end of book two, here's David's praise for God. What he says is this, he is praising God. He praises God for the wonderful things that God has done. And he prays that the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. Watch what he says in verse 18. He says this, be blessed, the Lord, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. So now it's our personal God and that God, I pray that your name be blessed. And in that watch, he says, who alone, I have that word circled, alone does wondrous things. That, that even if David is praying these things for his son, he recognizes that if his son receives any of these things, all the wondrous things that have happened in his life is because God alone has done it. So he's blessed king is because he has been blessed by Yahweh alone. He's been blessed by Jehovah alone. He's praising God for it. He says in verse 19, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. So now he's praising God for his wondrous deeds. Now he's praising God for his glorious name. And he's saying, God, I want your name. You're the one that I want to be filled. And he says, may the whole earth be filled with your glory. Amen. So be it. And so be it. Amen. And amen. Exclamation point. And he's just, the praise is just overwhelming. And he's saying that, God, I want to see you do this amazing work. You have been blessing me. I was a little shepherd boy and you took me and you allowed me to king kill Goliath. And you allowed me to be the second king of Israel. And you blessed me even when I failed time after time, you have been blessing me upon blessing. Lord, protect my son and give my son an amazing reign, a universal reign. And he's saying that I want him to be the supreme king, a great kingdom, but the greatest praise goes to you. And then he ends with this editorial note, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, once again, I believe that it's probably David's prayer for his son that Solomon wrote down. So then when we got into the superscription, it talked about of Solomon because Solomon wrote it. But as we get to the subscript here, we sit of David or prayers of David have ended. Now, if any of you are familiar with the Psalter, that King David has Psalms in book three, book four, and book five. So he, they can't mean that all of the Psalms that David wrote are done. It's funny. I used to think that David wrote all the Psalms, right? King David. King David wrote probably 70 plus of the Psalms. There were a number of Psalms that were written by other people, and he has Psalms in each one of the books, but the heaviest portion of his Psalms are in books one and two. And so that's why he's saying that at the end. Okay, so now I want us to think about the gospel in Psalm 72. So let's go back and let's look. Because I said, this has to be somebody greater than King David. It has to be greater than King Solomon. So we start with God's justice and righteousness for his royal son. Where do we see that? We have to see that in the personal work of Christ. It is only Christ who is righteous, and it is only Christ who's been completely just. In verses two through four, we see that the one who is going to be righteous is going to care for the poor. And it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 61, where it says that Jesus, let me open it up to you. 
Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus used this as his open sermon in one of his sermons. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those that are bound and though to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you think, do you hear that, that this is, that the righteousness that is talked about, the king that is going to protect his people is King Jesus. King Jesus is the one who is prosperous. King Jesus is the one who defends the poor. In verse four, King Jesus is the one that crushes the oppressor, the oppressor, Satan, sin, Satan, and death. Jesus Christ crushed them with his life. He crushed them with his death. This King David or King Solomon could not do what Jesus did on the cross. King David's kingdom was not an endless reign. Jesus's is. And we look to Revelation. We say that there's going to be a day, Revelation eleven fifteen. There's a day where his kingdom will not end and peace will abound for all people. In verses 11, 8 through 11, we talk about a universal reign. I want you to think about the millennial kingdom in Revelation 20. Or the eternal kingdom in Revelation 21, this is a kingdom that has to look to something greater, that Jesus's kingdom, when he is here reigning on earth, and then when Jesus is reigning over all time, eternal kingdom, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's an endless kingdom. It's a universal kingdom, and there's no one who's more compassionate than the Lord Jesus Christ. He could sit there with a woman who has been married five times and is living with a man. And he says, can I have a drink of water from your cup? And he could tell her about her sin, but he could do it in such a loving and compassionate way. He could look at Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus, who's a robber. And he says, come down. You're going to go. I'm going to go to your house today. He could take Peter and Peter is going to deny him. And he's going to restore Peter. He could take these disciples that are going to leave him and he's going to bring them into the community. He could take me and he could take you and the compassion and the care that in the midst of the abuse that is rampant in the midst of the perversion that's here in this world in the midst of all the pain, he shows compare his compassion and his care, his help for you and the prosperity. We have an inheritance that's eternal. Peter talks about that, that there's an inheritance that awaits you in heaven and that God is holding that inheritance for you in heaven. And then he's guiding you to get to that inheritance. And who deserves the praise but Jesus Christ? No one. And so when you think of the gospel, I want you to think of a broken person like you and me, a sinful person that deserves damnation, deserves God's justice, deserves God's anger, and God has poured sing after blessing upon us. So when you see this, I pray that you would praise the Supreme King. I pray that you would think of his grand kingdom. And I pray that you would offer him the greatest praise because he alone deserves it. It was, it was beautiful this morning, just sitting in worship service. The sanctuary was pretty full this morning. People are coming back and just hearing the music and being able to praise God and then hearing the word of God preached and then taking the elements of the Lord's Supper in our hands and we get a chance to praise him. But don't miss that praise and worship of God is not only for an hour or two on a Sunday morning, praise and worship of God should be every day of our lives. Praise and worship is not just a band playing or music playing. Praise and worship is every element of our lives should be to surrender and to worship him. So I want to think about how we can just bring this home.
I want to ask you four questions. And I want you to consider these four questions. You don't even have to answer them today. I want you to just think about these four questions about your own life and how they come out. First question is this, and it's not on your notes. The first question is, do I live under the sovereign reign of Jesus? Do I live under the sovereign reign of Jesus? One of my favorite writers, theologian, is R.C. Sproul, and he had this thing called, he had this phrase called Coram Deo, before the face of God. And Coram Deo meant to live all of your life under the authority of God, for the glory of God, under his presence, for his glory, and under his authority. And it's like, do I live my life in the presence of God? That every day of my life, do I think about the fact that he is here and he's near? Do I live under his authority? That I want to follow his rules in the word, and I want to make sure that I'm trying to follow them as best as I can. And do I do it, not for my glory, but for his glory? So the first question I ask is, do I live do you live under the sovereign reign of God in your life, sovereign reign of Christ in your life? The second question is this, do I help the needy and the poor and the weak? Do I make it my aim and do you make it your aim to look after those that are struggling? This righteous king saw, heard the needy and defended the needy, sought to protect the needy and provide for the needy. So I'm asking you, as representatives of the great king, do you help the needy? Do you help the afflicted? Do you help the poor in your life? And that can be giving, giving materially to them, but it also can be just being there to support them and pray for them and encourage them. Do you do that? Okay, so do I live under the sovereignty of God, reign of Christ? Do I help the poor and the needy? Third, do I defend those who are unable to defend themselves? Do I defend those who are not able to defend themselves? I was talking to someone recently about being bullied in school and seeing people being bullied in school. And I asked them, do you go and actually try to protect those that are being bullied? I said, oh, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get, I don't want them to get upset with me. And it's like, but, but you're there to try to help and protect. You saw that they were being bullied. You knew that it was wrong and you should go and try to provide protection because this person is weak and you're a stronger person. You could do that. So I, I guess the question would be, as I said that to this person, I guess the question I had to look at in my own life is, do I defend those who are unable to defend themselves? It's a major piece. And we live in a country right now where a lot of defenseless people are being hurt and harmed. And we sometimes don't even say a word about it. So the last question is this, do I live to praise the name of Jesus and to fill the earth with his glory? I was going to, I didn't get a chance to do it, but I was going to have the hallelujah chorus on as we closed and I played it earlier. And it's just like the hallelujah chorus just sends chills up my spine. It's like hallelujah. And you hear a choir, hallelujah. And I can't sing. And it's like, there is something that when the hallelujah chorus starts, what do people do? They stand to their feet. Why? They stand to their feet because a king years ago, centuries ago, said that, you know, they're talking about a king greater than me. And it's like, I'm going to stand right now in honor of that king. Hallelujah. You know, 
king of kings and lord of lords king of kings and lord of lords hallelujah it's like it's just amazing and so i want you to get caught up as we get to the end of this second book i want you to get caught up in the king that we serve the king who is a righteous and just king the king whose kingdom is endless and who's universal, who's compassionate, who's prosperous, but to the praise of God, God is working in him and through him. Let God work in you and through you by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Father David was praying this over his son, Solomon. This is a great prayer. I want to pray this over my own son. I want to pray that he would be righteous and just and that, that he would go on forever and ever and that he would have an impact that's in this world and that he would be caring and compassionate and that he would be prosperous. I pray that for my children. I pray that for all of us here. But Father, this king is an amazing king, but this standard is just impossible for any of us to achieve. The perfect kingdom, the perfect rule, the perfect king, the perfect peace could not be brought about by us because we're broken, we're sinful. I thank you for the fact that even though abuse is rampant and even though abuse is predictable, abuse is redeemable. The Father, each one of us have hurt and harmed someone in some way or another verbally, physically, emotionally, or maybe in other ways. And Father, I thank you for the fact that we have a true king who lived a righteous life, a perfect life, who died a perfect sacrifice, a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice, and rose victoriously. I praise you for that. I thank you for the fact that when we see our unrighteousness or our lack of compassion or our lack of caring or making material things bigger than you, I thank you for the fact that you can forgive us. I thank you for the fact that you've redeemed us. I thank you that you have crushed our enemy, sin, Satan, and death. So help us to live for your glory. Help us to live for your majesty. Help us to see you reign forever and ever. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.